Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. morning. My name is Tamia, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Acumen Inc. 2020 third quarter results research analyst call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, then the number one, on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press the pound key. Thank you, Mr. Zane. You may begin your conference. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us for Acumen's results call for the quarter ended September 30th, 2020. My name is Riyad Zane, and I'm the President and Chief Executive Officer of Acumen. Please note, the visual presentation is meant to complement our presentation today. A copy is available on the investor section of our website at acumen.com. Before we begin, let me remind you that certain matters discussed in today's conference call or answers that may be given to questions asked could constitute forward-looking statements that are subject to risks or uncertainties relating to Acumen's future financial and business performance. Actual results could differ materially from those anticipated in these forward-looking statements. Risk factors that may affect results are detailed in Acumen's periodic results and public disclosure. These documents can be accessed under Acumen's profile on CDAR or EDGAR. Acumen is under no obligation to update any forward-looking statements discussed today and investors are cautioned not to place and do reliance on these statements. We may also refer to certain non-IFRS measures during this conference call, such as EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA margin, and adjusted net income or loss. Our definitions for these terms are included in our public disclosure. Our use of these non-IFRS measures is intended to complement IFRS measures provided in additional information and further understanding of our results of operations. Please also note that our financial statements are produced in U.S. dollar currency. Before getting into the financial details of the quarter, I wanted to mention a few recent highlights. The COVID-19 pandemic continues to impact all sectors of the economy, including our sector of outpatient imaging. As we will discuss later, our volume over the quarter is within 94% of pre-COVID levels. And I wanna take this opportunity to thank all of our stakeholders, especially those on the front line 
and uh, as uh, as employees, as well as our radiologists, for all of their efforts as we continue to manage through these difficult times. Also on September 3rd, 2020, our shares started trading on the NASDAQ under the symbol AKU. Our shares will continue to trade on the stock ex- Toronto Stock Exchange, also under the same symbol, AKU, but now only in the Canadian dollar currency. Since NASDAQ listing, we've seen trading volume in the U.S. at over four times the trading volume on the TSX for the September through November 10th period. I would also like to highlight that after the quarter, we've entered the U.S. debt capital markets with a $400 million offering of secured notes, which refinanced all of our debt. I will talk about these later in our presentation. Now, with common shares and bonds in the U.S. capital markets, we have executed on major parts of our capital market strategy. Lastly, we had two earnouts outstanding in connection with prior acquisitions, which have now been settled. One which arose in connection with an acquisition in West Florida completed in 2018, was settled last month for $200,000 prior to the end of the measurement period in exchange for a release from the operating restrictions applicable under the terms of the earnout. The second was an earnout arising from in connection with the acquisition of our ADG business in 2000 and uh, our ADG Georgia business in 2019. The estimates for that earnout liability has ranged between 6 million and 15 million and was settled in accordance with the terms of the purchase agreement at 9.4 million. Half of the amount was paid on November 9th, 2020, and the balance will be due in May 2021. Our financial report begins on slide three. We are very pleased with the results of Q3, we generated revenue of 67 million, an increase of 25% on a sequential basis from the second quarter, which was severely impacted by the COVID crisis. Year-over-year volume and revenue were relatively flat for the quarter. Moving to slide four, quarterly volumes are shown on this slide. Although volumes have recovered significantly from second quarter of 2020, previous volume levels have not yet returned to pre-COVID levels, as illustrated by same center decline of 8% compared to the third quarter of 2019. Also, as compared to Q4 2019, which is the most recent quarter unaffected by COVID-19, Volumes for Q3, as indicated earlier, were about 
Revenue is shown on the next slide, slide five. Q3 revenues have mostly recovered. However, a change in payer mix has resulted in a lower service fee per RVU in the quarter. This change is due to a slight drop in the higher value personal injury claims in the payer mix. Our pricing environment remained broadly stable. We have had a number of inquiries relate, relating to CMS proposed rule changes to its 2021 reimbursement rate and its expected impact on our business. The proposed changes are planned to be budget neutral to CMS by reallocating reimbursement rates among certain providers. Assuming we are reimbursed by Medicare in 2021 for the same volume for Q3 analyzed, we estimate that these CMS changes, if implemented as proposed, would result in a drop of approximately one and a half million to our 2021 revenue. On slide six, you will see our adjusted EBITDA for the quarter was almost 18 million. That's an increase of 30% over the second quarter and similar to the same quarter last year. But what's interesting is, despite not quite returning to pre-COVID volumes, and we all know the operating leverage in the business with organic growth, adjusted EBITDA margins have remained strong, increasing from 26% to 27% over sequential quarters. As I mentioned earlier, to provide more color on the refinancing, on slide seven, uh, we close the refinancing of our credit facilities. With our entry now to the U.S. debt capital markets, there are three benefits. We have created significant balance sheet flexibility. We have now a platform to access additional capital to fund our future growth. And also, more importantly, we have broadened our investor base in the U.S., which will have multiple benefits going forward. Our secured notes offering closed on November 2nd for total proceeds of 400 million, which was upsized from 375 million due to a strong demand for our offering. The offering was led by Barclays with Citigroup, Morgan Stanley, and BBVA as joint book runners. And Raymond James, Greg Hallam, and Capital and William Blair as co-managers. The notes have a 7% interest and mature November 2025. Our obligations under the notes are secured against substantially all of our assets. Customary for other similar notes in the market, the notes are subject to incurrence-based governance. The notes will remain private and are not subject 
to any registration rights. Proceeds from the offering were used to repay our existing credit facilities and derivative financial instruments with excess cash added to the balance sheet to be used for general corporate purposes. At the same time, we closed a new revolving credit facility with a total commitment of 55 million from BBVA, Barclays, and Citi. The facility is currently undrawn. Obligations under the current under the new credit facility are secured pari passu with the obligations under the secured notes, and like comparable facilities in the market, are subject to springing maintenance covenants. Copies of the indenture and the credit facility agreement are available under our profile on CDAR and EDGAR. Before I pass it on uh, to Mohamed Salim, our Chief Financial Officer, I would also like to take this opportunity to thank all the lenders and institutions that have supported Acumen Capital Structure to date. From, from, from the beginning to this journey, um, up, up to now, everyone has contributed to the balance sheet of Acumen. And although we have new investors uh, going forward, um, we want to thank and we cannot forget who helped us to be where we are today. Um, so although the refinancing has been completed, uh, there, we, the Acumen management team and shareholders have a great appreciation for what they provided uh, the company with in terms of capital over the last couple of years. Uh, now I'll turn it over to, uh, to Mohammed to go through the, uh, the next uh, uh, slide on the presentation. Thank you, Riyadh. Good morning, everyone. During the September 2020 quarter, Acumen generated free cash flow of about 6.2 million, driven by adjusted EBITDA of 17.8 million. We expect to improve gradually. We expect this to improve gradually with business volume growth. With respect to CapEx, the capital expenditure to revenue ratio for the nine months ended September 30th was 4.9%, which is in line with our typical expectation of around five to 6% of normalized revenue. With respect to accounts receivable, as of September 30th, Acumen's accounts receivable were 99 million versus 91.9 million at June 30th. In our opinion, in the current business environment, the days of sales outstanding calculation is not very meaningful. However, assuming pre-COVID-19 revenue levels, the related days of sales outstanding at September 30th were approximately 116 days versus 108 days at June 30th, 2020. Excluding attorney auto pairs, the days of sales outstanding were approximately 76 versus approximately 70 at the end of June 30th and 74 at the end of March 31st, 2020. 
The increase in the total days of sales outstanding is mainly due to four factors. Firstly, uh, there was strong recovery in RVU volume relative to the three-month period ended June 30th. Relative to the June 2020 quarter, the revenue increased sequentially by about 25%. Secondly, relatively high proportion of auto attorney accounts receivable, which has a longer collection tail. Third, the disruption from our continued efforts to streamline the medical billing team and to consolidate the attorney auto billing team. And fourth, the impact of COVID-19 on our personnel and on non-electronic payers. With respect to revenue contribution from attorney auto payers, they represented approximately 27% of the service fee revenue in Q3 2020. With respect to the cash balance, the cash at September 30th was 27.4 million versus 28.1 million at June 30th. In April 2020, the company benefited from about 3 million in advance payments and 1 million in grants from Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Service and U.S. Health and Human Services, respectively. The company did not receive any advances or grants from the government in Q3 2020. The current cash balance reflects improvement in business volume and ongoing expense management by the company. Since COVID-19 began to have an impact in March 2020, no draw has been made on Acumen's credit facility for working capital purposes. Moving on to the next slide. This page shows our margin and leverage profile information. During the quarter, as Riyadh mentioned, our adjusted EBITDA margin remained healthy at 27%. The improvement year over year is mainly due to permanent and temporary staffing changes and salary reductions related to our cost containment strategy in response to COVID-19. With respect to leverage, the total debt at face value as at September 30th was approximately 381 million and net debt was 353 million at face value. Proforma for the refinancing mentioned earlier, as of September 30th on a proforma basis, we have nothing drawn under the credit facility. The total debt is approximately 415 million and the net debt is about 369 million. Using Q3 2020 as the current run rate for business, on an annualized basis, we would have adjusted EBITDA of approximately 71 million. This run rate is not adjusted for COVID-19. Also, there was no acquisition activity in Q3, so there is no acquisition impact included in this run rate. This implies a pro forma net leverage ratio of 5.2 times as at September 30th, 2020. Going forward, 
we expect our leverage will benefit from improving volumes, savings from our new service delivery platform, and other strategic business initiatives. I will now pass it back to Riyadh. Thank you. Thanks, Mohammed. This concludes our prepared remarks, and we would ask the operator to start the question and answer period. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Noel Atkinson with Claris Securities. Well, good morning, uh, Riyadh. Uh, thanks so much for taking our calls this morning, and uh, good job in the quarter overall. Um, I just have a few questions here. So first off, uh, really good sequential recovery in, in patient volumes. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the mix. So you noticed that service fee revenue proportions were a little down with auto and injury in Q3 versus Q2. Um, you know, were there some elective imaging activity that came back strong as well? Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Noel. Um, I, I, the, I think there, there, there are obviously two things, uh, in, in, uh, as we pointed out, uh, the, there's the, there's the, the type of volume you do, which is why we put it in an RVU measure, um, and then there's obviously the, uh, you know, the price, uh, the blended price uh, uh, per, per RVU, and um, although the RVU puts it on a standardized measure, like you said, the the blended price. I mean, I mean, if everybody was paying on an RVU basis like Medicare, that would be uh, that would be perfect. But it's not a perfect measure. It's a it's a good directional measure, so it does get impacted to some extent uh, by by uh, uh, modality mix, but more so by payer mix. Um, so I think the uh, the slight difference you see. Um, is is more of a payer mix, but also as as you pointed out, um, part of that is also uh, the type of procedures you do because uh, although RVUs are RVUs, they do have they do have a slight uh, slight impact on 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 the price. So yes, you 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 know I think the uh, in Q2 the essential was done. Essential is more uh, MRI and things like that. I think. Procedures that could have been postponed, um, you, you saw more of them in a proportion basis. I'm not saying a lot more, but in a proportion basis, you've, you've seen more of, more of them in the, uh, in the third quarter, which explains a little bit uh, uh, the price. Okay. So you're, uh, you're correct. Okay. Um, and then you know, Q4 typically has some positive seasonality with rate and volumes and you know, what are you seeing so far into Q4 versus Q3? Uh, yeah, it's. It, it, I think I think the um, it's fair to say uh, the business mix we have it. It doesn't have a lot of seasonality, but uh, but it tend to have a like you said a stronger Q4 on average and a weaker Q4 Q1 on average. Um, but but Q2 and Q3 usually are good. Uh, are, are are very good uh, uh, kind of uh, measures for 
uh, where where the business is. We're still we're still recovering from COVID. Like I said earlier, we're still not at the pre-COVID level. Um, so we are seeing what you typically see some some improvement in Q4 from Q3 levels, uh, as as you mentioned. Um, and uh, you know, I think I, I think as as every as every year we should see we should see better volume in 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 Q4 than Q3. It's uh, like you said, there is a it's it's a it's a structural uh, basis in in the business. So that's that expectation is is a logical expectation. Okay, uh, good. Um, and then one more here. Uh, so just can you talk a bit about your what you're seeing in the competitive environment in your key markets? Um, you know, we're, are you seeing any hospital systems in those metro areas trying to, you know, pursue JVs with independent operators? Like what we're seeing, you know, Radnet recently went into into Phoenix, for example, with a with a big hospital system, and so I think it was the first expansion they've done in I don't know seven eight years, something like that. Yeah, it's uh, it, uh, it's definitely an, an interesting. Um, Interesting times. I think we're seeing two things. We're seeing uh, more uh, stronger willingness from uh, smaller competitors to join larger platforms um, like like Radnet and and Acumen. Um, and I think we're also seeing what what uh, uh, what you just indicated in terms of larger players potentially benefit down the road from. Uh, uh, some form of partnership with with hospitals in those markets. I mean, the, um, that's uh, as you know, that's part of our business today. We do manage, uh, we do manage uh, on behalf of uh, hospitals, a uh, few clinics in Texas, uh, and and that's obviously an area of focus and growth for us. And and those those discussions are more happening today than. Than they were in the last couple of years. I mean, it's uh, uh, you're, uh, and it's uh, both ways. You know, we're we're being approached, and and also we're also approaching uh, uh, larger institutions where it does make sense to work together in a market. So that's that's a very interesting area of growth for us, on top of organic growth, and on top of. Uh, you know, continue with our talking acquisitions. So it's a, it's a well, uh, uh, you know, I think it's a, a point well made. It's a, there is a shift in the market on that front, and and you expect it, you know, because we're 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 uh, we're new in the consolidation. We're in the first innings, and and it gets only better from here. Okay, great. All right, thanks, Ria. Your next question comes from a line of Tanya Gonzalez with Canaccord Genuity. Good morning, Riyad. Uh, great Good quarter. morning, Tanya. Especially on the margins, um, I'm happy to see EBITDA margins ticking up there. I'm wondering what kind of offsets do you have uh, to counteract that 1.5 million hit caused by the Medicare changes? It's, I think, Tanya, the only offset to things like that, as you know, in this business is really, I mean, there is some uh, you know, volume that you hope you, you, you pick up 
and and it drives more consolidation. Unfortunately, price hits in this business. Uh, um, you know, there's, there's there's not much you could do with them. Um, uh, but I think at the same time, the flip side of that is uh, it makes the thesis for consolidation a lot stronger. Got it. I mean, we, uh, as you could see in, in our business, one and a half million is a rounding error. Uh, in another business, it won't, it won't be. Especially if the Medicare mix is a larger part of the business. And I think that's another thing that you know is is to the benefit of acumen um we have been uh, selective in the markets where we've grown and uh, i think as many investors do point out to me is that you know you don't have as much uh, exposure to government as as others on average and and that works to our benefit yes that's very true okay um now, your number of centers, I see this keeps ticking down little by little since uh, the 130 centers that you had in Q1. I don't know if you can answer this, but could you provide any color on um, how many centers you think you could potentially close without hurting uh, total volumes? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to, to guide you on that. I mean, I, I think, uh, as you know, um, it's not a uh, like it's it, it, it's not a new plan. Uh, it was always uh, uh, parts of our uh, plans uh, as we continue to acquire. Because there are times when you do deals, uh, it's a lot more efficient um, to actually buy it as is than actually pick and choose which clinics you want, because then. It's a it's it's a it's it's a nightmare, and also sometimes we do we we execute on a plan uh, for an underperforming asset and and it has worked. Um, there are other times there are structural reasons that we've learned over the years where uh, where now they're more in our in our uh, toolkits from a strategy perspective. I'm not I'm not going to say we were perfect, but we learn we learn from our mistakes and. And we've we've we're we're more now methodical, and 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 uh, we have a, a, a clear guidelines in in what will make our actions work and not work in the market um, for a specific clinic. Um, so I think that's you, you, why you've seen us accelerate those plans with COVID, where we you've seen the number of clinics coming down. I would say it's not it's not a substantial number. Daniel, what's left, but you could still close another five to ten clinics and not have a major impact uh, if you want to be aggressive. But there are there are certain places where you want to uh, you you we have different plans for those assets, uh, so it's, that's why we're we're being patient with it. So there are there is more margin improvement potential um, uh, in the business uh, as you take those actions. And as you know, and I've said it many times, I really don't care about how many centers I own. That's not the number I focus on. When you say you have different plans for those assets, what does that mean? So you could, uh, you know, I think just like uh, uh, Noel alluded to earlier, 
you know they could be a dormant asset waiting for for uh, some sort of uh, uh, opportunity with a hospital. So they, you got you got you got to be patient. Hospitals, you know, sometimes don't 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 move too quickly um, to on 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 those things. So you have we have we 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 have to uh, look at uh, what we do with those assets. So they could also be converted to a different business model. Um, uh, we have some initiatives in in 2021 on on a new service offering uh, that would be dedicated. That we'll announce it when when we're ready, and, and those some of those clinics will be converted to that new model. So we 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 have uh, uh, you know multiple things. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, and then following on on Noel's comment with uh, Radnet's JB with Dignity Health in Phoenix, I thought that was a market that uh, Diamond Med had a, a JB with Dignity Health in. Could you comment on can companies like do they typically overlap like that in in the same region, or could this signal something bigger, like perhaps? a merger or an acquisition? I, I think it depends on the agreement that was in, play, in place, Tanya. Not, 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 any, not every agreement will, will give you a, an opportunity to, uh, um, to protect your, uh, your share in the market. Um, so it, there, is a, there is obviously, you know, it's more the relationship aspect than than uh, and 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 the, and the performance than than really uh, agreement driven. So um, I, I think I, I think uh, I think what's becoming clear uh, when you look at this trend, um, there's something else I didn't talk about. For example, I know in the past we talked about uh, Aetna and United Healthcare, but also a few weeks ago Cigna. Um, is raising the same issue, which is uh, we don't we don't want to pay hospital rates for non medically necessary procedures. You know, as as that momentum and, and uh, trend continues, the hospitals are also looking for ways to protect uh, their outpatient business by partnering uh, in one way or another with uh, larger providers like. Like ourselves and 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 others. Got it. All right, I'll jump back in the queue. Thank you so much, Riyad. Thank you, Tanya. Your next question comes from the line of Stephen Kwai with National Bank Financial. Hey guys, uh, thanks for taking my questions. Uh, I'm just calling in for entry. Uh, so I just have a couple. Some of them have been answered already, but uh, could you just talk a little bit about uh, account receivable and uh, why it's been increasing, and as well as um, what percentage of your account receivable is uh, 180 days and over? Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for the question. Uh, yeah. So it's uh, obviously I think it, it, this was a uh, an interesting. Uh, quarter because you've uh, you've dropped 30% and then you were up 30% again. Um, that has that has an impact as we move into Q4. Um, 
they 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 uh, they they stabilize again, um, and I think uh, the the mix the mix in in our business. I mean, what will be more than 180 days uh, is more related to the uh, personal injury business, which typically have a two-year lockback, as disclosed in our financial statements, and it does take on average more than uh, uh, 180 days to collect. So that's that's where the majority of the AR that where that belongs in a 180 days. There is no uh, there is no uh, magic there where over 180 you don't collect. I mean, even on the medical business, over 12 months you collect. Uh, so it's uh, it's not a, it's not an aging uh, uh, issue. Okay, great, perfect. And uh, for the Dale sales outstanding, I think you touched on this earlier. Um, how do you see it developing uh, for Q4 as well as in uh, next year, 2021? Sure. I mean, I think I, I think uh, from where we are now, we've stabilized it at those levels, given all the changes happening. Most of the changes we've done in ni- in 2020. They were on the back office side of the revenue cycle. Um, there is the uh, there's more changes in uh, in 2021, which we expect to have them completed by mid 2021. When those changes are in place, uh, uh, the we the the we will see. Uh, that's when we expect as a management team to start to see the benefit of those. Changes which really complete like the full, the full cycle uh, from a revenue cycle perspective because uh, collecting what you need to collect, it doesn't start when the bill is out. That's not the business. It starts when the order comes in. So we've been, uh, again, very methodical about how you do it. These things don't, don't happen in a couple months, especially when you have a... $300 million business. Um, there are best practices that you learn over the years. There are leaders that you need to bring. There are systems that you need to evaluate. There are technologies that you have to integrate. There are business intelligence that you have to put on top to understand what the hell is going on. And you have to continue to make changes according to the plan. And we know where we're heading. And we are very confident in where where we're going to end up. So as a management team, that's the least of our concerns. As a okay. financial guy, that's all that you see. But from us, inside, uh, we see a completely different story. We only okay. see big opportunity ahead. Great. That's great. Okay, perfect. Um, and uh, just on the cases, uh, so can you – Give us an estimate on how many of the cases in Q3 uh, were from rescheduled cases of Q2. Yeah, there was. It wasn't really. Uh, doesn't it doesn't really uh, work that way? It's uh, uh, the the business was more. Uh, uh, it's not like we had cancellations. Uh, what happened in Q2? Um, we just couldn't get patients in because they couldn't get scripts from their doctors. 
So we didn't have cancellations in Q2 that when we rebooked them in Q3, we had a better volume. That's, that's not how the business works. Okay. Uh, and uh, just on your acquisition outlook, uh, how, how's it looking going forward? Um, I know you guys were refraining a little bit from doing some earlier, uh, but yeah, just any insight on how you guys are thinking of uh, going forward? Yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, we actually said at the end of 19, uh, or in the second half of 19, that we will not do any acquisitions in 2020. Um, and that was way before COVID happened. So COVID actually uh, helped us in some, in, in the fact that our refocus on the business wasn't at the expense of uh, kind of losing focus on the market because the market was in a, was being disrupted with by COVID. Um, so as as we move into 2021 and as our uh, 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 operational uh, projects get to, uh, uh, you know, get to fruition and get close to execution. There's a, there's a, you know, a timeline in terms of uh, uh, bringing acquisitions on board and there's a timeline in, in terms of uh, executing them and integrating them afterwards. So we, we uh, expect to be active again in 2021. Perfect. And uh, just the last one from me. Um, what, what were the main financial covenants in the new credit facility again? So uh, it's really the, uh, uh, the, 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 the covenant is that we don't have a maintenance covenant, but we have what they call a springing uh, covenant. So it's only if you draw above a certain level in the revolver that you, you will have uh, some covenants that kick in, but if you don't, uh, if you draw below a certain threshold, we don't have covenants. The, uh, covenants in the sense that I shouldn't say that we have covenants, but we don't have those maintenance type of covenants that you typically see. Okay, perfect, great. But that's that's the question. benefit of the. That's the benefit, obviously. Of, that's why we talk about flexibility in the balance sheet. Um, that flexibility doesn't is not available to every company. Um, you know, the, uh, we're at the low end actually of that flexibility. Uh, the, uh, the U.S. debt capital markets are tip, is typically open to companies that could could have at least half a billion of of uh, of uh, notes. Uh, we're we're obviously at the very low end of that, below that mark. Great. All right. That's uh, that's great insight. Okay. Thanks a lot, Ria. My pleasure. Thank you. At this time, there are no further questions. I would like to turn the call over to Mr. Zane for closing remarks. Great. Thank you, everyone, for your participations on today's call. And again, thanks uh, uh, one more time for all of our investors and partners and all of our employees and radiologists. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.
Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.